Hey, what's up, my people? Hope you're all doing well. And welcome to a very special show. It's going to feature the first guest from inside the MLS bubble, and it will also provide insight into the organization, Black Players for Change. But before we go any further, remember, you can find us at kickback underscore Nadam on Instagram and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe to the show and check for older episodes that might take your fancy. And lastly, links to the kickback playlist are available in the show notes. And now to today's guest. He's a striker for the Portland Timbers in the MLS. He's a recent debutant for the US men's national team and a board member for the Black Players for Change organization. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jeremy Ibobisi. Yo, so how are you, man? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. You say you're good, but your beard's looking kind of wild. Your hair's looking wild. <laughs> like you can't be that good. Uh, yeah, I mean that. That's fair. It's been a, it's been a long quarantine season, but ultimately, I I chose to to prioritize other things than uh, getting involved in the barbershops and. That's what the ball will do to you. Yeah, this is true. This is true. But, you know, your play is clean, even if your hair's not. So let's not worry too much about that. Yeah. <laughs> so how is the tournament going for you so far? It's been a, it's been a process. Uh, ultimately, it started with Dallas and Nashville. And the, the struggles that ensued from the, the health concerns. But it's been a little bit smoother uh, up until this point, And hopefully we, we go far. And what's it like on a day-to-day basis for you? Like, are you the type who can pass time or what's the deal? Pretty busy. Uh, the, there's a lot of team events, team functions, whether team dinners, lifts, uh, and obviously trainings. But uh, ultimately, I think the team is growing through um, some of this uh, unexpected adversity mm-hmm. that the COVID pandemic has brought on us. Yeah, I see that. And so for you, you you're a recent, like, full international Portland, uh, like, a, like a successful franchise. So what were your expectations coming in in terms of performance for you and for the team? You know, once you're here, you got you to gotta go for the win. We, we're not here to, to just stay our, the shortest time possible and then go back to Portland and say, say we've done our jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're competitors. And so every time we step on the field, I think that's what we've shown thus far. We're here to win. And uh, we got a tough matchup against Cincinnati that looks deceptive on paper, but... We, we got to go into it sharp and then then hopefully we can make a run. You see this, you're so well-trained. You keep giving just the textbook answers like I was working for the press. Like, I see what you do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, this is, this is like, straight, that's pretty straightforward. Not straightforward stuff, but um, there's less room for crazy opinion. Mm-hmm. That's, not, that's not where I would like. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Um, there's not there's not much to to elaborate. Other people can make a lot out of those, but yeah, I see. It's not your thing, but I will need you to elaborate on something soon, and that yeah. is because. So some people that are listening, they might not have seen you play yet, or mm-hmm. they might not have seen you play in the tournament, and some mm-hmm. might have seen you actually appear before the very first game of the tournament. Mm-hmm. But for those who haven't seen you play and didn't see that moment, what exactly was it? What happened before the very first game? Yeah, it was. It was special. Um, I remember thinking I was going to walk out there and act. I thought I was just going to go out there and just do my part, line up in a circle, you know, bow my head, put my fist in the air, and that it would just be a minute of just straight acting where I put an image out for the world that would resonate strongly. But as I as I saw all the faces and, and what it meant to everyone, you know, I, I got real emotional. Um, 
Like I, I was called the N word on that field for the first time when I was 12. Really? Because uh, Disney Showcase was like the place to be for us. Um, and, and I was playing a team from South Carolina. And I think just the emotions of going through that as a kid and feeling super alone and then being on the, that field at that time with a hundred or so people who at some point in their life had felt something similar. Um, it, it made me feel powerful. Mm -hmm. and, and so I immediately, whatever naive uh, plans I had in my head went away and, and I was caught up in the moment. Yeah, it did definitely look like an incredible moment. But one of the questions which I, which I heard was why was it just the black players? Yeah, I think collectively black players share and experience black men and women share an experience in society where we're consistently discriminated against. Uh, and in this case, police and sometimes vigilantes are killing us in the streets. And we've lived with that fear since we were young kids, knowing that our life could be over at a false step. And we've cried for help consistently throughout the years. And unfortunately, they've fallen on deaf ears. So we're super appreciative that nowadays everyone wants to get involved in, in the fight. But uh, given this moment, we thought that it was important to to highlight the strength in our group mm -hmm. uh, before eventually opening it up to to the support that's flooded our inboxes. Yeah, for sure. And I'll be honest, from where I was, it looked absolutely incredible. And I think those feelings that you had there, I felt it from where I was. So that moment itself, I, th I hope it's something which we look back on in, in years to come and really say that was the start of something very, very significant. And, you know, I fully believe it will be, fully believe it. But can we go back a bit now, yeah? So we're talking about something, but what ex how exactly did it start? Like, what, what is Black Players for Change? Yeah, Black Players for Change is basically a platform for the Black players in the league to, for the players in the league, and predominantly Black players, to push their agenda uh, in the Black community, making sure that uh, Black youth see soccer as an avenue to succeed the same way that some of us had struggled, you know, in this country, soccer isn't a, uh, it's not a sport for black Americans, mm -hmm. you know, when, at whoever it is, they always stereotype you into football or basketball. So we didn't really always feel like we had that support. Yeah. Um, so, so showing up in the black community is going to be huge from an athletic standpoint, but also partnering with nonprofits on the ground so that these issues of systemic racism, uh, are addressed because a lot of people are learning about them now. And then the final piece of it is, uh, elevating our voices within the league and holding mm -hmm. the league uh, to the standard that they want to 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 be involved in diversifying their hiring practices and their business relationships. So it's a mm -hmm. it's a it's a platform to to elevate the the black community uh, through mm -hmm. our whole player pool and and front offices. So basically everybody's involved then, or is it certain people that are involved? At the moment, it, it's been unified around the black players who have participated in the protests. But naturally, as you go and build an organization, all these social movements of upheaval uh, are built on multiracial, multi-class, uh, diverse coalitions. So it's going to be about integrating as many people who want to help and who want to get behind mm -hmm. the cause as possible. How we go about that is still the challenge uh, it's still a challenge because we have to make sure that everyone is bought into uh, the program, but, but the door is definitely open. But how did it start? That's what I want to know. Yeah, it started with a group chat, honestly. After George Floyd, you know, previously we had been dealing with these incidents uh, in isolated fashion. 
we knew that everyone else was going through it, but mm-hmm. this was this felt like a moment where I was like, okay, this is too much. We're not seeing the responses that we might want to see, whatever they might have been mm-hmm. in the moment. And so mm-hmm. now we have a platform going to Orlando. How do we want to use it? So it started with maybe seven people in an Instagram group, and ultimately it grew and grew and grew into a Zoom call. And then from that Zoom call, we had to establish did we just want to make it about Orlando? But pretty quickly, everyone said, uh, we don't just want to make it for show. Like, yes, symbols yeah. are important. Narratives, sh- symbols shape narratives. But ultimately, mm-hmm. uh, we want to back that up with action. Uh, we want to, whether it's in regards to voting or education um, or just diversifying business practices and hirings, we wanted to make yeah. sure that we are actually addressing the structural issues uh, that we want improved. I didn't know that Orlando was such a big thing to do with it. Like, do you believe if it was just a normal season, do you think it still would have been created or not? You know, I think it's a challenge. The same question can be asked about everyone who who is feeling this rage or whatever mm-hmm. emotions they're feeling about, you know, the system in our own history and in, in this country and in this world. You know, would it have happened if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic where everything was halted, people yeah. weren't going into work, Mm-hmm. that's the question I ask myself all the time, but we're here now mm-hmm. and we have to play with the cards that were dealt. And so I think that that meant making the most out of Orlando and yeah. trying to translate it into something long-term. You know, um, from my perspective, what I, what I see seems objectively good. It really does, but we don't live in that type of world, unfortunately. And for, for decades, centuries, and for as long as people can remember, people like yourself, people like myself and other minorities within a situation have been telling stories about things which have happened in their lives or the way that they view the world. But unfortunately, it gets treated like it's fiction. But it feels like with what happened with George Floyd, it was the very first time that people got to see it with their own eyes. And they fully, they fully believed it and backed it. But unfortunately, not everybody has. And it's crazy to think that what happened has almost turned into a divisive issue. So like, what do you do when you sort of, um, do you like, do you expect resistance from the movement which you've created now? I think it's natural to expect resistance. People have very differing points of view in life and, and you would hope that something as simple as Black Lives Matter could garner a wide range of support. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, rhetoric can be spin or can be spun. Yeah. And so instead of it sounding like, black lives also matter people try to treat it as only black lives matter when in fact throughout this country and this world's history black lives are a group that have not mattered and so i think while we should engage in the resistance because it's important we want to change minds we can't force it upon people everyone's entitled to their own opinion but if they can come to their own conclusions and understand that we're not out to get anyone. We're not out to hurt anyone. We just want to help people that have been overlooked. Then maybe that's the change that we will see. And, and ultimately again, we need to focus on the people who are on the fence, the people who want to learn, maybe don't agree, maybe don't understand, but they do want to learn. And so we have to be patient with them because maybe they'll also teach us something. Maybe we will see why this is so divisive to them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because one thing that I've seen is that 
people say, well, I've struggled in my life. I was poor. I didn't have health care. I lived in X neighborhood. You know, the, the big corporations took advantage of me too. Mm-hmm. And to that point, groups, minorities, whether on a class basis, on a religious basis, on a sexual basis, whatever it might be, have been discriminated against. Yeah. And we should be able to join where we can find commonality in policy as opposed to trying to tear each other apart. Yeah. And the black community isn't, isn't immune to trying to tear, tear down other, other uh, minorities fighting for, you yeah. know, their, their right to exist peacefully. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that we need to just be cognizant of the fact that it's, there's a lot of troubles that have gone on throughout our history that, uh, we try to avoid and we shouldn't look to to make that a source of divide uh, yeah. but rather a source of commonality and, and respect yeah but you know that's so very well said but it's an argument which you don't really see out there in the mainstream you know you tend to see people that just sit extremely on one side or the other you don't really hear that sort of talk about understanding the bigger picture even the socioeconomic stuff which you mentioned there is such a big factor but it's too often ignored but I love that. And one thing, um, do you, I have this thing in the back of my head and it won't matter. It won't be the case for everybody, but it feels like it's the case for some whereby it feels like people are only paying attention to what's going on right now because it's a hot topic. Like on the day when people went and they blacked out their Instagram and stuff like this, mm-hmm. there are lots of people who will support past that point. But for others, it almost felt like a trend as opposed to an actual movement in the right direction. Like, how do you feel about, how do you feel about that? Do you think that's a thing or not really? It's definitely a thing. Um, it's disappointing. That's, that was my first reaction to the movement because yeah. there have been other moments that people have been killed on camera or that yeah. we've seen other stories. And again, there was that uproar for a week, but after that it was gone. Yeah. And that hurts because when, at the moment where I felt like I had support, all of a sudden it was like, why are you talking about race? There's yeah. no racism. Racism yeah. was solved in, in the Civil War. It was solved uh, yeah. with Brown v. Board of Education and, and the end of legal segregation. Or it yeah. was solved when Obama was elected. Yeah. And so it just hurts that people will participate for a day just to say mm-hmm. that they did so that they can maintain the moral standard that they want to portray to the world. Um, but also I think that there's still an opportunity to engage in difficult discussions as a lot of people have said over this time where if I know that someone's doing it for that reason, I, I feel comfortable going to them if I know them personally and saying, Hey, what have you been doing since I've seen you posting a few times? Yeah. How are you backing that up? How are you changing your life? Or at least how are you furthering your education? Because what you find on Instagram is great. You know, you find a few lines, sometimes a couple of paragraphs split up into pictures. Yeah. But it's not enough to really understand a subject. It introduces you to something, but you're not going to learn about the history of housing discrimination in this country by seeing the definition of redlining yes. on Instagram. Yes. You're not going to learn how your city, what whatever city it is, how much it affected the community, how much building highways through black communities, destroyed those communities, forced people to relocate into neighborhoods that they didn't want to, or maybe the only neighborhoods that would accept them. You're not going to get that off an Instagram square. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to get 
the effects of the Voting Rights Act and how people like John Lewis, Congressman John Lewis, who just died recently, how much that meant to them and how much they put their bodies on the line yeah. just to have that. You're not going to understand what it meant to them and how the Supreme Court repealed it, or at least the major, the major clauses in 2013 in a, in a big decisive case. Mm-hmm. And following that, we've seen a rise of voter suppression. Yeah. So all this, all this information is out there. It's well known. And if you want to post a couple posts here and there, I understand that, but I'm here to hold the people closest to me accountable to following up on that post. And I actually reached out to someone. I was like, hey, you're going a mile wide. You're posting all these different subjects, and it's great. I know that you're trying to learn it. But what are you doing? What are you doing further? Because I can tell you right now, based on everything I've seen that you've posted, there's no way in this time period that I would be able to follow along and be able yeah. to tell you even a fraction of what those mean to society. Yeah. We're, we're just seeing definitions without application. Yeah, I see that. That's again, that's a great point. So, with all this being said, then how is it that you manage to not be pessimistic when you see the size of the task that's actually ahead? <laughs> I think you have to take into account that we're not alone in this fight and we're not the pioneers of this fight either. Yeah. That people have gone through a lot harder struggle to get a lot less so that I can be the way that I am, where I am, and I honor I have to honor that fight. And for yeah. me as well, it's a little bit different because I'm not I wasn't born in America. I was born in France. My parents yeah. are from Cameroon and Madagascar. Mm-hmm. So we moved here when I was three. But again, the culture that I was brought up in is, is very much Franco-West African. Um, so I had to go out of my way to learn all this history because, unfortunately, things were happening to me happening to me at a young age. You know, whether people were calling me, making fun of my lips because I was the only one with big lips, mm-hmm. or whether people were were saying I was too old to be in a in a youth league when I was six. The parents that were on the outside yeah. wondering why I was playing so yeah. aggressive and so athletic. So these little incidents, you know, being profiled in a mall um, caused me to learn. And that's just, a, again, that isn't what someone who grew up here will have felt because their parents will have actually been redlined out of neighborhoods. You know, yeah. Their grandparents might have been beaten at protests. So I just recognize that people have done so much. And the task is, for me, about continuing to move the needle alongside all the people that are motivated along uh, cultural uh, cultural lines and socioeconomic and however the coalition can build itself. And what I ask myself is, can we build about a 10-year period? Because we talk about pessimism. Yeah. Where my pessimism kicks in is that I don't think anything we do right now is going to last 100 years or 400 years like I would like it to. Yeah. But I'm asking, can we build a 10-year period like post-Civil War? The period of Reconstruction lasted about 10 years, 10 to 12 years. We, can we build another civil rights movement that we'll say lasted around 10 to 12 years as well? Can we have that and continue to uplift a group of black youth so that they feel more and more comfortable so that when they're old, in their 30s and 40s, they feel like it's on them to continue to move the needle from a leadership standpoint. And I recognize that students lead this movement as well, but 
that that's where I see it right now. Yeah, that's I'm I'm loving listening to you here because it's you're so well versed and educated about what is going on, and obviously you can and we can all still learn more. But the position you're coming from is one where so far I've only heard you speak like this, and I've heard of a lot of people talk about the situation, and it's so interesting as well because how are you 23 years old? Yeah, like you're 23 year old, three years old, one of the big faces in this group of people born and raised in the United States of America with ideas and beliefs, but you take that responsibility on your shoulders. Like why, why choose to do that at your age? And say even at the start of your career, you could argue at the start of your life, really. Why, why are you, why, why are you choosing to do it? I've been reading a lot. Um, it's about the privileges that I've had growing up in an upper middle class neighborhood mm-hmm. and knowing that other people didn't have that privilege. Yeah. And it pains me to see kids. It's it's really about the kids. Obviously, like I'm an adult now, and and I see other adults going through the same hardships um, that that I'm worried about are the youth going through in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but what really strikes a chord is just hearing kids say, "No, I can't be a kid. I can't act a certain way. I can't get or, get in trouble or or just be naive and innocent because every step I take is going to be scrutinized." Yeah. That to me, it it scares me because yeah. I hope to have kids one day and I want them to be able to live comfortably in a sense where they, they won't feel in danger at all times. And I'm sure, I mean, you can, you can relate to this, yeah, having kids yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's tough. And yeah. so we can't shy away, you know, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's kind of where I stand. And, and part of me growing, because as you said, we all have to learn. Mm-hmm. Part of me growing is understanding the the injustice to other groups of people mm-hmm. because I've been so focused on my own experience and the experience of those who look like me that I've overlooked other people's experiences. You know, we, we've seen anti-Semitism mm-hmm. on the rise throughout the world um, the last few years, and obviously that's been present as long as anyone can remember and beyond, way beyond. Yeah. But where has my cultural education been on that? That's yeah. something where I have to look inward as I see a lot of celebrities um, reciting anti-Semitic tropes mm-hmm. in, in the news recently. So we, we all have, it's, you shouldn't be ashamed to, to admit that you're not perfect, that you yeah. don't know everything. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? That's another great answer. And you know, to finish, I just want to say, like, I believe in you. And I believe in all the other board members and, you know, you can't do it alone, but I believe you can and will make a big difference in the situations, in dealing and helping with the situations that should never even exist in the first place. So thank you for being you. And to be honest, I'm absolutely delighted to have you as the head of an organization, which I'd love to be a part of. So thank you very much, Jeremy. Yeah, honestly, I mean, it's, it's about everyone. Yeah, you know, we're, sure. we're organizing, but... It's about the collective. We're only as strong as every member who wants to participate and, and who wants to make that change because in a country this big and, you know, this can be a global movement too. Yeah. You know, we're here and, and united through our connection within this league and our cultural experiences. But, you know, can we show a model to players with bigger platforms, yeah. more resources, more influence, in England, in yeah. France, yeah. you know, in Germany, yeah. 
and can they feel emboldened? Because I know they all care about this stuff too. Yeah, for sure. You know, we see we see them doing it individually. Can they unite in a way that we have and and take it on in their countries? Because as you continue to build these movements, that's when uh, that's when you really see change. Perfect. Thank you very much, Jeremy. You can go to bed now. I'm sure it's quite late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, we're sticking to West Coast time, but I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, great to speak to you and good luck in the uh, remainder of your games. I'm sure I'll be seeing you in the final. Hopefully. It's a long way for now, but yeah, appreciate sure. it. And hopefully, take, hopefully take a haircut as well, man. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'll definitely be getting one, yeah. you know. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for speaking to you, man. Thank you. No doubt. Take it easy, man. So there you have it. Hope you gain some insight into Jeremy and all those looking to make a difference, not only in the MLS, but in society too. You know, wherever in the world I go, I'll always be proud to be black. And in this moment, I'm proud to have the opportunity to stand alongside people like Jeremy and trying to make a difference, not only for ourselves, but for all those who for too long have been led to believe that their existence doesn't hold the same value as the next. But thank you for listening. Thanks also to the producer, Ryan Hale, Thank you to media manager Skylar Warwick. Thank you to Mountain Air Studios Draper, Utah. Be sure to stay safe and stay tuned.